welcome to A Wealth of Positivity, a podcast that is designed to offer you a more positive outlook in a world of negativity. Brought to you by Ed McKenzie and Tristan Johnson of McKenzie & Co. Financial Consultants. Welcome back to our podcast. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ed. Today on our theme of Wealth of Positivity, we'll be discussing how to take ownership of your retirement. We wanted to call it own your retirement rather than what is the cost of retiring because it's it's more about the positivity of managing your retirement, you know, having ownership over it. Yeah, I think visualisation is the biggest part of that is, is visualising what you want your retirement to look like and the positivity of that before you then work backwards to come up with a magic number. Yes. A lot of people in the industry talk about the magic number or how much do I need, all of these things. I always think that that tends to be, that needs to become at the end of the of the discussion. Yeah, I love sitting down with clients and asking them what does good look like, what does a really nice retirement look like, rather than going for a what's a base level, what's the sort of minimum you would need, and you know, living a sort of pretty you know tough time. This is the number just to get by on the minimums. Actually, what do you want to do when you stop working? What holidays do you want to do? What traveling do you want to do? You know, you you, you can have individuals and, and everybody's different. I think that's the most important thing to say is that everyone you talk to will have a different view of what they really want. If you speak to somebody who spent their whole you know career in sort of international sales, traveling the world, they want to just take the dog for a walk and not get on an airplane ever again. <laughs> but then you'll have you'll have certain other individuals who will be um, you know, who will, you know, be stuck in an office 24-7 and can't wait to do more traveling, yes. see the world, see the stuff they haven't seen. So I think the first point is, is that visualizing that for the individual is the most important thing. And actually, sometimes that's a really positive thing because actually, you you know, that horizon and seeing can feel far away, but actually visualizing that and getting a real good perspective of what that looks like is, is a really positive part of the of the process. And then I spent quite a long time just talking through, you know, what do you want to do? What does that look like? How much does that tend to cost you? Do you, you know? find that clients that you speak to actually know what they want to do? I mean, I've, yeah. I have often blank faces when you... So, <laughs> it's like the first time they've ever thought about it. Yeah. So this is the hol- longest holiday of your life. <laughs> and you spent more time planning your week in Ibiza. I think the biggest uncertainty <laughs> when it comes to, to retirement and owning your retirement is that I think the modern retirement is not a cliff edge stop straight off into the into the sunset and so what you tend to find is that actually more and more clients are looking at how do they sort of slowly go into retirement so even Mm. even this morning i got an email from a client where we went through this whole process you can retire go off into the sunset um she went to a boss told her she wanted to retire the boss went but what if we just did part-time, half the time. And she was like, so I'm thinking to try that. So I was like, yeah, okay. So we planned for this, but that's changed because I think sometimes people mentally don't want to just quit and walk away. No. So retirement now is a much more phased approach. So it's not black and white. So I think that's another reason why when somebody says, how much do I need to retire? It's almost like how long's a piece of string? There's, <laughs> there's no fixed fixed number on it. And also, it's a much more grey movement into retirement. What we can do as advisors and what we try to look at when we're talking to the clients is visualise what you'd like that to look like. Put a little bit of, I'd say, sort of, you know, 
um, assumptions in there. Let's assume you do part-time for a few years. Let's assume that you do stop. Because if you don't stop and you carry on working and you're not taking as much money out of your savings and, and, your, and your pensions, then well, you're, you're, you're better off. So I would always say work with the sort of worst case scenario in mind in terms of, okay, let's say you don't carry on working. But if you carry on working and you still enjoy what you do, then, then fantastic. Yeah, most successful people, they can't let their brains just stop. They have to do something in retirement. Yeah. They have to, you know, even if they're doing a nine to five job and they're on board level or, you know, at a big company, corporate, they will possibly stop that, but then they do something else, just a little side hustle. Yeah. Even if they don't need to. Or voluntary work or, or voluntary trust work. work or, you know, yeah. or non-exec work. I mean, there's, again, as you say, you know, certain people thrive on that sort of the chaos of life. If they suddenly have nothing, that can actually be quite you know, it's been shown by plenty of studies, mentally quite detrimental. Yeah. And actually then, you know, you have loads of anecdotal stories of people saying, well, you know, he, he was, you know, he died after four years because he had nothing to do and his, you know, his health <laughs> went off the cliff and all this type of stuff. Actually, you've got to make sure that when you're visualizing this with the clients, you know, you've got to almost have the conversation of going, you know, you've got to do something to keep yourself going. If somebody says, I just want to go and sit on a beach on Barbados, you go, Really? Oh. Is, that, is that going to satisfy everything you know, to that you've... Barbados. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For those that don't know, unfortunately, Tristan was due to be in Barbados about now and had to cancel his trip due to health reasons. So yeah, sorry. Not my health. health. Not your health as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sorry about that. Yeah. Wife fell off a horse. Yes. Um, anyway, how do you own your retirement? What are the things? Because everyone thinks that pension. And they rightly just focus on a pension yep. as their retirement. But that's yep. not the whole story, is it? No. I think there are there are multiple different products out there. Tax wrappers from you know shares, you've got ISA wrappers, you've got investment bonds, offshore bonds, you've got pensions. I mean the wrappers and products out there are very, very wide. Um, and the right one to suit you is very personal in terms of what you're trying to achieve. And actually a really good advisor will have a mixture of those i think when you're doing it to make sure that they interact in the most tax efficient way to yeah. maximize that retirement for you so um when we talk about retirement it's not just about the pension it's about the the bigger picture of everything that is providing that income in retirement and some of that will come from a final salary scheme it will come from your state pension um you know there might be other things that that you have out right. there that, rental income rental income if you've got buy to lets you know these are all part and parcel of that income generation so when i talk about the reverse engineering and how much do i need and what do i need to retire i think big things are looking at what do you put into the pot to to come up with those the number of what you need and taking away certain things that you have out there so if you have a buy to let portfolio you know that you're going to go get roughly X amount from that pot. Now you're going to have periods where you have to spend more and more on the house to, to do it back up again with maintenance. You know, you might have periods of time where there are there's no one in the property. So you're going to have periods where you've got no income coming in. Those things you can't really sort of speculate on far away from the actual retirement. I think the biggest part of the planning for this and the really positive step is to actually visualize it. Yep. Get down onto paper what you think you're going to need. Now, I always start with real basic building blocks when I'm doing this. What is your basic cost of living now? So almost go through everything that you spend. Going back to our last podcast of going through your direct debit. Yeah. What does it cost you to live now? 
okay? And then take away things that aren't gonna be there. So if you're going to be mortgage-free and you're lucky enough to be mortgage-free when you retire, you can take that bit out of the calculation. Um, if you've got huge amounts of commuting costs and you're not gonna be commuting into city or on the train every day, then you can take that out of the, of the calculation. So what you do is you almost sort of just sift through all of your cost of living now to come up with, this is what it costs me, basically. Yeah. Um, that's your sort of baseline of cost. And then I always look at, okay, what are the really nice things that you wanna be able to do? So do you wanna go out more? You've got more free time, so let's, let's up the cost of discretionary spend. And so what we try to do is then build on that, a few building blocks of, okay, how many holidays are you can have a year? I had a conversation on Monday about holidays and they were saying, well, it cost me this much. Oh, but when we retire, we're not taking the kids with us. So it's uh -huh. half the price. I was like, brilliant. So you can do go, go on twice the holidays. <laughs> and and you like, can go in school time. Yeah. <laughs> you can make it cheaper by going when kids are at school, which, you know, all of those things are part of the conversation. Yeah. And it's amazing how positive people suddenly feel about their retirement <laughs> when they think of life after the kids and when they can do these things. So, you know, those are the conversations to have when you're building those building blocks of, okay, here's my number. My magic number is when I retire, I want X. Yeah. And then the easiest thing to do, or the, the simplest tool, is to reverse engineer this. Um, and there are a very a variety of different ways to come up with a calculation of what lump you're going to need to do that. So the first step I always look at is going, right, I know I've got these other income sources coming in. So whether that's state pension, rental income, final salary pensions income, I know these are coming in. So this leaves me with this shortfall I need to give me that really beautiful lifestyle that I've visualized and that Ed's told me is gonna be amazing. <laughs> what do I need to give me that figure? So let's say for argument's sake, that figure's 20,000 a year. Okay, and you know the shortfall you need is 20,000 a year. There's many different ways to look at this, but the most simplistic way and the one that's used by so many people out there is the 4% rule. So if you work on a 4% rule that you're gonna take 4% out of your portfolio every year, give you an income, and that's going to support your income. You know that £20,000, you're going to need half a million pounds, £500,000 to be able to do that. Why 4%? I mean, that's really important for people to understand where this has come from, because it's not just a figure that's plucked out of thin air. If you have a reasonably balanced investment portfolio, giving you 4%, um, plus a little bit extra for inflation, that money will make sure that over a retirement period, that money's not going to run out. Yes. It's belts and braces. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, there will be years like we've had last year where you will eat into capital if you're taking 4%, but then you'll have years like the year before where you know portfolios were doing 10, 12, 13%, where you'll get more a bit more extra on top. Yeah. So um, there's a really interesting um, term called sustainable withdrawal rate. So there's been plenty of studies done to say, what is a, a withdrawal rate you can take out that will be sustained through all different historical contexts of economic returns with a, you know, balanced portfolio. And, you know, that takes in from the 1900s all the way through to the World Wars, World War II. If we take recent history and the sort of post-World post War history, 4% is a very reasonable figure to be able to maintain. Mm. And from our perspective, it's a really easy way of looking at it. Because I think to positively capture and, and get on board, if we make this overcomplicated and say, well, you need to look at 3.65%, <laughs> people are gonna go, Bleh. but if you take 4%, really straightforward figure, okay, there will be periods where that will eat into your capital, as we said, but over the longer term and the long term of retirement, that's, that will be pretty sustainable for what you're trying to achieve. What do you say to um, 
clients who want to have their last pound spent on the day they die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yes. I often have that with, with the, my clients. I don't sliding need, to their grave saying, to. what a ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't want to have any money left. Yes. I've worked all my life for this money. Yes. I want to really, I just want to go for it. Um, oh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm definitely <laughs> one that positively engages with that purely on the basis of, especially when you first retire. Yeah. When you're very mobile, you can go and enjoy yourself. You can travel, travel when you want to. Um, I'm sort of actually saying, well, actually, okay, a sustainable withdrawal rate may be different over the course of your retirement. Yeah. So actually, you might have a sustainable rate in your early retirement of 6% where you are ca- eating into capital or the money's not really growing with inflation. And, and what you're doing is you're saying, I want to enjoy this bit. This is where I'm spending high. And then later on, your state pension kicks in and you and you don't spend as much. I think one of the things is actually, I, I love positively engaging with clients about the fact that I want them to enjoy the first part of the retirement, yes. really maximize it. Because I don't want them to get to the age of sort of late 70s, early 80s going, got all this money and I never really enjoyed it. Yeah. And, that, and, and that kind of almost goes back to your point of sliding into the, <laughs> uh, into the grave saying, what a ride. Uh, I, I think it's very, very difficult to if you work this properly and, and use that 4% rule and manage that retirement process and take ownership of it, it's difficult to run out of money. You know, it's really, really difficult to spend all. I'm sure people can do it. There's plenty of Lamborghinis, Ferraris and Porsches out there to burn the money on if you wanted to. However, I would certainly suggest that, you know, if you look at that and use that 4% rule, the majority of clients will actually have too much money when they get into their 80s. Yeah. So there is that reverse engineering of going, well, actually, I want to start off with a higher level of sustainable withdrawal rate while I'm mobile and able to enjoy it and go on those holidays, do the round the world trips. And I can tell you, I love talking to clients when they've come back from those amazing lifestyle trips (laughs) that we've spent the money on saying, you know, this is brilliant. This is what I wanted to do. You know, going up Machu Picchu or going to a Kenyan safari or, but it's not just all about building a massive pot of money yes you don't want to be a wealthy you know 90 year old the richest man in the grave 100 percent. i think i think i think <laughs> or woman. yeah and and, and you know, if if covid's taught us anything it's enjoy today you know whilst also making sure you've got a good tomorrow lined up as well so there's that balance to be had and we talked about it in the last podcast about you know what we do with bonus money etc so a similar thing to retirement is look you've got to enjoy what you had today people have had you know, cancer treatments, scares. And I, I love speaking to people that have gone through this process because they come out with a completely different mindset to their retirement. Yeah. Suddenly they're not like, oh, what's going to be 100 and blah, blah, blah. They're like, I want to enjoy stuff. I want to do stuff now. I want to I want to really enjoy it. Go on a great holiday. I've experienced that personally, very close to me recently as well. I love the attitude that comes out of that. It's a real positive life attitude. And from our perspective, what we want to do is really engage that. And I think if we can work on that, that's fantastic. Yeah. But bearing in mind that everyone is living longer. Mm. Back in the day of our parents, they would have expected to have retired for maybe 20 years. Yes. Um, probably retired at 60, 60 30 if you're lucky. 30 if you're lucky. Nowadays, um, they think that the person who will live to 150 is already alive, which is phenomenal. It's so scary. Can you imagine retiring at 65 and then living, what, another 
another 85 years. <laughs> that's one of the reasons that sustainable withdrawal rate and the 4% rule is being heavily tested now out there because that was based on 30 years. Money lasting for 30 years and you're taking out that figure of money and it won't run out of a 30-year period. Even through big recessions and big crashes, you know, the 90s and the 70s, et cetera, you've got all of those big hits that are coming to, them, to, to that and the world wars, you know, mm. <laughs> let alone those impacts. So you definitely do need to have a look at going, okay, you're, this money's got to last you longer. Yeah. But that also means that, you know, and we see this all the time, you know, there is going to be a period of time where you're not going to need as much of that money. And more and more of that's coming at the end. I have my doubts about people living to 150. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, statistically it makes sense, but that's going to be a very, very small proportion of, of individuals. You know, I think if you look at the average you know, mortality of people, you're still looking at people mostly dying between the ages of 85 and 95. Well, they've got these uh, gene editing things yeah. now. It's, yeah. It's said it might happen. But yes. I think if it ever gets to that stage, then people just work for longer because they will actually have a healthier life and they will feel a lot fitter. Yeah. And you probably have about several, several different careers in your life, I'd imagine. <laughs> the sort of overarching fact is okay we're going to have a longer retirement so we need to plan for a longer period of time yeah um but i've always gone back to that four percent saying look as long as you know 20 grand out of half a million quid should last you for a very very long period of time and if not forever if not forever the other part of that conversation you know if it's well managed well looked after should last you for a very very long time and also if there's a period of time you know we are we generally are quite sort of uh, emotional when it comes to investing. So when markets are dropping, you know, when we had like we had last year, you have the ability to say, well, all actually what I'll do is I probably won't take 20 out at the moment. I'll take about 15, 16. You know, I don't necessarily need to do this or do that. There's a natural proclivity for an individual to go, I don't, I, I won't spend so much this year. Um, you know, I, I do spend a lot of time with clients saying, just enjoy it. Don't worry about the short term <laughs> because this is, we've set this all up for the longer term. But People don't want to do that. They, they're, they're naturally cautious. So, you know, you will go through those, you know, the, the sort of psychology of investing does have an effect on that mm -hmm. as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, there's no doubt about it that we've got longer retirements coming up. So you have to really own your retirement earlier. The conversation I was talking about with clients recently was sailing. And I always say when you're sailing, where your destination is could be way off in the horizon and you can have no real clear vision of where you're heading off to, but you've got a compass and you know it's due north, that's the direction you're going in. So the earlier you can get that compass out and plan your retirement so you know you're heading in the right direction, the better. Yeah. And as you get nearer and nearer and the destination comes into focus in the horizon, you can get more and more clarity of what that looks like. So for us, I think the best thing about owning a retirement is to really think about it as early as you possibly can. Definitely. You know, 35 may be quite young, but at least start navigating, start yeah. putting stuff 20s. away. 20s. The earlier you start, the better. I mean, it's the biggest thing that, you know, I, I hear all the time is, look, the earlier you start, the better. Um, and we'll probably talk about this on another podcast about you know, starting off the investment cycle and we'll come on to that. But I think the biggest thing from my perspective is, it's, it's navigating in the right direction the earlier you'd start. And you can be you can be really sort of generic, you know, and just say, look, I know I want 40 grand a year because this is what I want to do. And we can go, well, this is what you need. Start heading in that direction. But if you don't head in the right direction and start planning for that early, 
the higher probability is that you <coughs> don't have enough put aside. And so you actually, you're gonna be disappointed by it. So from my perspective, it's, it's all about navigating in the right direction as early as you possibly can. Yeah. And I think it's good for people to understand the phases of life um, as well. There are, in your 20s, you're a learn, low earner. You've, you don't, well, unless you're lucky, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you don't earn as much. You're trying to save for a deposit for a house. Um, but putting a little bit aside, you know, well, luckily we have auto enrollment nowadays, so that kind of does it for you. Um, so if you do have auto enrollment at work, don't opt out of it. It's free money. Your, your employer has to put money in as well. Um, then you have children. They cost you a fortune. <laughs> and then uh, by your 40s, late 40s, your children are starting to grow up. Um, you probably still have schooling costs, clubs and all that stuff. Mortgage costs. But your, your income goes up yeah. as well during that time. And then you hit this nice sweet spot in your 50s, generally, where the children hopefully have left the nest, if you had them young enough. <laughs> um, and you are now earning quite a lot, mm. comparatively. So your outgoings are less. And that, that part really does expand. That's when you can afford to put a lot more into your, not just your, your pension, but also into other investments during your life. Yeah. So, you know, ISAs and things like that. I, th I think one of the big things as well, actually, interestingly, is we're having children later in life as well. Yeah. So we're retiring, you know, we've got longer lives. We're having kids later on as well. So again, going back to the taking control early, it's yes, you're not earning as much, but put a little bit away. Keep doing that, that, that side of things. Even when you're going through the lower earnings, kids, all of that type of cost, um, because actually that the compound interest benefit of doing that earlier yeah. means that when you do get to your 50s, you're not having to work as hard to get enough away. You're ahead of the game. The earlier the start, the more ahead of the game you're going to be. So um, I agree that you will go through cycles, but if you can build in those habits to allow you to get ahead of the game, and if you are younger and you're in your 20s or early 30s and don't have the children yet, don't be complacent. Yeah. You know, own it, do it, make that decision. How much can you put aside and 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 do that? Yeah. Don't just assume that you will get the higher pay, the more money in the 50s, or that you won't have children when you're 45. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which you know happens more more and more regularly now as well. Yes. So I think I think there's definitely a really um strong advocation for for kicking off as early as you possibly can. Um and as I said. You don't have to be hard and fast rules about it and say you have to do all of this amount, but just doing something, just getting on board and starting. And it's, it's amazing if you start off with a small amount and then just tweak that up every year, yeah. 100 quid, 150, 200, 250, 300. Suddenly it becomes habitual. Suddenly yeah. you don't notice that it's gone. And so it becomes easier to just work on that figure and get that out, out, out of the system. So from our perspective, it's like, it's a real powerful tool to be able to say, look, you know, get going early, you'll find this will have a massive um, accumulation benefits towards what you're mm. doing when you are 40 and 50. And so when the kids do come along in your 40s, and yes, you're earning a bit more, but you've got to pay for everything for the kids. Yes, you've, you've done a lot of work beforehand to get ahead of that game as well. Mm. In the book Atomic Habits, um, they talk about goals. They say, well, the goal's useful, but it's not the most important thing. It's the system you put in place to reach that goal, which is the most important thing. 
Okay. And it's small changes that you make, as you say, just money going out yeah. into a savings account, into your pension, having that habit, having that system in place, the goal will will reach itself yeah. without, with that system. But if you're just solely fo- focused on a rigid goal, then it won't necessarily happen unless you put that system in place. Yes. And I, and I think rigid goals are very difficult. I much prefer arbitrary visualized positive goals of like, you know, sunny beaches in non-West Indian countries, um, <laughs> Mediterranean, Mediterranean beaches. Yeah. Um, but, but I also, I, I do like the visualization of that because actually it helps motivate those habits. Yes. Because I think habits are easy to tell someone they should do these habits, but what, what's the motivation? What makes you do that? And if you've got a really nice positive vision of what that's going to give you, and what's, what's the reason for doing this? Because it's going to give you that. Yeah. That, that, that motivation will help those habits stick. And then over time, the benefits of doing those habits and seeing what it's doing for you in terms of returns will massively influence and, and positively show you, great, this is the right thing to do and I'm going somewhere, I'm getting somewhere. Um, so from my perspective, it's, you know, you, the vision, the rigid vision of numbers and what you want it to give you as a figure, not important, but actually what it gives you as the as a sort of lifestyle and what you're going to do with it and, and how it's going to treat you. And, and that changes. That's very different for individuals. Some people will be the round the world trip. Some people will just want to, you know, a great VW camper van and travel around Europe. You know, everybody's different as what they want to do with that money. But getting that vision of what you want it to look like and what great looks like is the best thing that you can do to help motivate those habits. And ideally, it fits in with what your spouse wants to do. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, that's... Anyway, yeah. on that bombshell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 to be fair, what's really interesting is actually sitting down with couples and talking through what they want to do when they stop and what that looks like. Um, it, can, it can open a can of worms, but actually most of the time it's actually, yeah, I'd love to do that and I'd love to go and do this with you and I would love to do that with you. And so actually you almost have that sort of cross influence where they're going, right, so we should be doing this and we should be doing that. Mm. And they, they motivate each other. And it's when couples work on a, on a visualized goal together, habits are really easy to form and doing and that savings becomes really, really positive. When they're at odds against each other because they do different, they think differently to it. Actually, that that probably is less less beneficial to what they're trying to achieve. So, yeah, look, if we can, if you can get on board and have those difficult conversations early, that's a great, great one. And you know, there's nothing more motivating than my wife and summer holidays. So, you know, <laughs> exactly. Right. Okay. Well, that's the. Uh, I think we've. Uh... We've pretty much covered most of our topics yep. for that. The biggest thing, please, please like uh, and uh, and follow, and then you'll get updates on all of our upcoming podcasts and everything we do. Thanks very much for listening. In our next podcast, we'll be talking about advice for first-time investors. Join us then. Mm-hmm.